Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. More people die of cardiovascular disease in the United States than from any other cause. This is Colleen Shaddix for the Yale Office of Public Affairs talking with immunobiologist Jordan Pober, who's looking for new ways to fight this major killer on a micro level. Your laboratory's worked on vascular endothelial cells for more than 25 years. Why are these cells so interesting, and what are you trying to learn about them? Well, for a start, I would say I remember talking to a former Yale faculty member at the medical school who told me that when he was a med student, uh, he learned that endothelium was simply linoleum. It was the floor tiling of the vascular tree. (laughs) And it's pretty clear now that um, that's a misconception, that as Um, Inert as these cells appear by microscopy, they're in fact terribly active. They are crucial for a number of functions necessary for life. It's the endothelial cell lining of your blood vessels that keep the blood fluid, prevent Mm -hmm. it from clotting and choking off organs. The endothelial cells also regulate the tone of the blood vessels, determining how much blood gets to given tissues. The endothelial cells also determine what moves from the blood into the tissues, how much oxygen, how many protein content, um, nutrients. That endothelial cells are performing basal functions that are absolutely crucial for survival. Mm -hmm. Um, Those functions can go awry. Uh, There's an appreciation now that in addition to the normal biology of endothelium, there is endothelial dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And endothelial dysfunction is a major cause of disease. It's a major risk factor for cardiovascular events like heart attack and stroke. And it's often inflammatory dysfunction, is that right? Yes, it's, it's in, inflammation is a major cause of endothelial dysfunction. Uh, that mediators that are involved in inflammation, in normal inflammation, the recruitment of white cells into a tissue to fight off an infection, cause a number of changes in endothelial cells and also that the inflammatory process produces injury of endothelial cells. And it's injured endothelial cells that are dysfunctional. And in fact, that's a major um, interest of our laboratory is understanding how it is that um, the inflammatory process injures endothelial cells and developing strategies to help endothelial cells resist this. And how does that process figure into cardiovascular disease? Well, it's, if, if you don't get adequate blood flow into an organ, mm-hmm. um, that puts it at risk. If you cause thrombosis, that is clotting of the blood mm-hmm. um, of an artery that's feeding an organ, that's a major cause of heart attack and, and stroke. Um, so those are failures of the endothelium to perform their job, and those failures are caused by mediators that are produced by inflammatory cells, either locally or they can be systemic, that a local degree of inflammation at one site um, may lead to problems at another site because the endothelial cells throughout the body are subject to these circulating mediators. Now, your work also tells us something about transplantation and understanding why the body sometimes rejects organs. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. In addition to the functions that I described um, earlier in our conversation, endothelial cells also play a role in alerting the body's defenses to the presence of infection. Um, Specifically, 
uh, endothelial cells are capable of displaying antigens, mm -hmm. uh, foreign molecules that can come from infectious organisms to circulating lymphocytes. Uh, the part of the adaptive immune system that's responsible for allowing us to, to live in a world uh, populated by microbes um, and resist infection. In the case of transplantation, there are genetic differences between the donor of the organ and the recipient of the organ. And the immune system is not prepared to deal with this. It sees those genetic differences as if there were an infection. It responds to the endothelial cells that are lining the blood vessels of a kidney graft or a heart graft or a liver graft mm -hmm. as if they were infected and signaling to the immune system that you need to destroy this site and eradicate the infection. And so the endothelial cells um, are both an initiator of the rejection response and a major target of the rejection response um, that the host will use to eradicate um, in this case, unfortunately, a grafted organ. So in learning more about it, does that give you any clues about how we might sort of turn off the burglar alarm system? Well, that's very much what we would like to do, is, is that not only do we wish to protect endothelial cells from the injury uh, that the immune response may cause, but also find some of the signals that endothelial cells are using to turn on the immune response and see if we, if we turn those off, can we prepare a stealth endothelial mm -hmm. cell? Can we make a graft that would not appear to be infected to the immune system to be um, treated as if it were self and healthy um, and not mount a rejection response to begin with, or at least to mount a weaker response that mm -hmm. would allow a reduced amount of immunosuppressive drugs and thereby reduce the side effects and dangers that, that these drugs pose. Now, it would be wonderful if this research could lead us to cut down on the amount of rejection we get with organ transplantation, but the problem remains that there simply aren't enough donor organs to meet all the need there are for transplants. Can you talk about ways that your research addresses that problem? Sure, we're absolutely correct that there simply are not enough donor organs, that transplantation, despite its limitations and despite the side effects of immunosuppressive drugs, is a remarkably effective therapy. Mm -hmm. It is um, the only therapy for, in some cases, failing hearts, failing livers, um, failing kidneys. Um, yet there are not enough organs, as you say, to, to serve these people. More than half of the people who would benefit from an organ transplant will die while they're on the waiting list. Um, so there are efforts to increase organ donation, and that will help, but it probably won't solve the problem. Um, and an alternative approach is to build organs, to use tissue engineering as an approach to make substitute organs. Now, when you engineer a tissue, you want to transfer the cells that perform the function, in the case of liver, for example, the cells that, that perform the metabolic functions that the liver performs. But there's a limitation to this, um, namely that we know that cells can't exist if they are more than one or two millimeters away from a blood vessel. Mm -hmm. They simply require blood vessels for their nutrition. Um, and so we hope that we can coax endothelial cells into um, forming blood vessels within transplanted or within engineered organs mm -hmm. uh, to make these more suitable for, for transplantation and to be better perfused um, by uh, the circulatory system. 
At the same time that we're doing this, we, of course, are going to be introducing the very same endothelial cells that in a natural organ triggered an immune response. Right. And that's a second problem facing tissue engineers is they need to evade the immune response. So we want to take some of the lessons that we've learned um, from transplantation and apply them to producing endothelial cells that, again, may escape under the radar of the immune system, mount less cause less of an immunologic response to the engineered organ, and at the same time improve the blood circulation to allow the parenchymal cells um, to do their job to whatever their metabolic function happens to be to get them enough nutrients to survive in the um, tissue engineered structure. That's fascinating, and I know it's basic research at the early stages. Do you have any ballpark idea of when we might actually see synthetic organs? Well, there already are skin substitutes, mm. um, and in point of fact, the major failing of the current generation of skin substitutes is they do not have an adequate blood supply. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that's probably within reach. That is probably something that within five years it might be reasonable to have a second or third generation engineered skin wow. um, that would, in fact, have a blood supply because of the incorporation of endothelial cells into such a structure. Now, all this work is taking place just down the road in the new Amistad Research Building at Yale, where you work with scientists from many different disciplines. How important is that interdisciplinary environment to your work? In, in many ways, it's, it's very important. The Amistad Building is part of an ongoing transformation of medical research and an experiment at the medical school uh, to cluster investigators according to their common scientific interests rather than their traditional departmental um, mm -hmm. affiliation or, or training, um, bringing together uh, surgeons, internists, pathologists, biochemists, uh, pharmacologists, cell biologists into the same environment. The Amistad building itself is the home to three different programs. It is the home to the vascular biology and therapeutics program, um, which is where my labs are located. And that program has um, formed an alliance and has brought into the building a number of members of Yale's biomedical engineering department, particularly those interested in questions of tissue engineering. Mm -hmm. So the vascular biologists and tissue engineers are housed in the same place. The building also houses Yale's stem cell program. And stem cells are a way forward in terms of thinking about how to engineer tissues or repair tissues. And finally, it's the home to Yale's um, newest interdepartmental program, the Human and Translational Immunology Program, um, the section of immunobiology to which I belong. Um, and our interest is really in understanding how the human immune system plays into diseases such as cardiovascular diseases and transplantation. And it's remarkably health, helpful to advancing this research to have casual hallway conversations mm -hmm. with other scientists who may come from different backgrounds but yet have common interests. And I think that this is the clearly the road to the future for science, the emphasis on interdisciplinary team-based approaches to really move science from the laboratory into the clinic. Thank you. We've been talking with Dr. Jordan Pober, head of Yale's Human Translational Immunology Program and vice chair of immunobiology at the Yale School of Medicine.